Two months ago, we just kind of reminded ourselves at the start of the summer why we are here, why we exist. We take it from Matthew chapter 5, God's kids, which is you and I, are the salt of the earth. Let me tell you, the scriptures say, why you are here. Not in this room necessarily, but like on earth, why you were born. You're here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? If you've ever eaten a potato all by itself, it's just not very enjoyable and it makes you want other things. But if you put some salt on it, some butter, some bacon, like lots of bacon, if you put salt on it, it's a game changer. We are to be the salt in the lives of the people around us to help them see and be aware that God is everywhere and God's love saturates everything. And it's our job to point that out and to bring those flavors to people's attention. That's who we are. That's why we exist. Our lives should point all day, every day to Jesus. So we created a tool two months ago to help us bring out those flavors, to help us help people acknowledge that God is good and he's here. And our purpose is to be loved by God, to love others, and to make God's love known to the world. And that tool was the BLESS card. Super simple, just a quick little acronym. BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. Begin our day for the people we'll see in the places we go. It's such a game changer to pray. And what would happen? And I hope it's been happening if at the beginning of your day you just pray. I know I'm seeing so-and-so. Lord, bless them. I know I'm going there. Give me an opportunity. Open my eyes. Listen. This world we live in is known for talking a lot and just vomiting opinions and controversy everywhere. Let's be known as listeners. It's such a blessing when you sit down with someone and they look you in the eye and they just listen to everything that you're saying. Eat. We eat. I love eating, right? Chicken pot pie last night. So good. You guys, we eat. Let's use our meals. Let's use our coffees intentionally to invite people to come and just be in community and fellowship. And hey, maybe share a little bit about what's going on in your life or listen to what they have that's going on in there. Serve. We do this every Thursday, but you should do it every day. Go out of your way. Look for opportunities to be a blessing, to just love people where they're at. And then share. Share the story of Jesus, what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your student ministry, where you've seen him, the fact that you know he's real. So this, these are simple ways that we can be salt in people's lives. And we have little cards in our box outside, but you don't need a card. That's super easy to remember. Let's be a blessing for the rest of the summer. We've still got another month left. And then the last three weeks, we've been asking us what's ourselves, what's the, what's the thing that's stopping us from being the blessing? What are some things that stand in the way of that? And I'm not going to go through the entire previous two weeks, but I asked God what's stopping us, and he led me to the book of Nehemiah, and that's where we've been preaching the last three weeks, and we're going to do chapter 10 today. But Quick rundown, the people in Nehemiah's day, Old Testament peeps, they're God's children and they were disobedient, they forgot God, they're trying to do life their way, they're obeying the, the best advice the world had and their society had and not God's and they suffered for it, it hurt them bad. And as a result of doing life their way and ignoring God and ignoring the Bible, they forgot who God was. They forgot the most important thing about God, he's a father. He loves us. He's there for us. He wants to minister to you. He wants to comfort you, encourage you. They forgot all that, and they started to see him as just this mean guy in the sky waiting to punish them all the time, and that's not who he is. They forgot 
and it hurt them. And as they forgot who God was, then they, they quickly, they forgot who they were. They forgot they were created to be God's kids. They were created to be the blessing, be the salt, be the people that turn people's eyes and minds and hearts to the fact that there's a God in heaven and he loves you. And he's forgiven you for your sins. And he wants to reconcile his relationship with you and yours with him. They forgot those things. And so, 70 years, they're in exile and they're just reaping what they've sown. They are suffering the consequences of their bad decisions. And they finally like just have this epiphany. And they're like, oh my, we need God. God can help us. God can fix this. And so they just declared, God, we want you and we need you. And immediately, it wasn't like, okay, come back in five years. Immediately, he's like, I love you. I've been waiting for you to ask. And he brings them back home to Jerusalem. Now, when they get there, God starts blessing them in monster ways, like miracles are happening, and they're able to accomplish as a community far greater things than they've ever imagined. But their hearts are still hurting from their past hurt, pain, mistakes. They are welcomed back into God's kingdom. They're given identity and hope and a future and a purpose, but they still are carrying some baggage. And so they gather together as this giant collection of people acknowledging like we need God and he's here to help us and they confess their sin. Now, it wasn't they necessarily got up and said, these are all the things that we've done wrong and why we're garbage. They confess their sin. They confess the fact we need God. They confess the fact that we have not been obeying him and it's hurt us. It hasn't been God slapping us around. It's been the results of our bad decisions. And they confessed how much they need the Lord. Do you know how much you need the Lord? At your age is when I started drinking and for the next 10 years, I drank every day to the point of passing out. And I had no idea how much I needed God. I was trying to fill with this a hole in my heart that only God can fill. I needed God. You need God. What are you trying to fill your heart with? You need Jesus. You need his love and his affirmation. These people forgot that, but as soon as they acknowledged it and said we want it, he gave it to them, but they still had some hurt. So they confessed their need for Jesus. And the recipe of a good confession, which is what we talked about last week, is simply just admit, like start off, admit God is good. If there's anything good in your life, and it can simply be the sun came up, right? Admit that. When you're confessing to the Lord, just confess. God is good. Confess, admit that you need him. And then just confess, just admit, yeah, I'm in this situation right now because I didn't obey you. I didn't listen to you. I didn't do the right thing when I knew I should. So after their confession, they, they gathered together and they had this great community-wide commitment they made, right? They all gathered together and they made this promise to God together. They had confessed their sin, but they said, let's take it a step further. And they made this commitment to change their behavior, to change the way that they thought. So Nehemiah chapter 9, 38, this is the last verse in chapter 9 before we get to 10. It says they said, in view of all of this, in view of all of what? In view of the fact that we have ignored God, in view of the fact that we have hurt ourselves, in view of the fact that we have settled for the world's way and it hurts, we are now making a solemn promise and we're putting it in writing. So they gathered together and they confessed their sin and then they made this promise to the Lord together and they wrote their names down and they signed it and said, yes, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, they all agreed to do it. Why did they make this community commitment? because they wanted to declare together so that there was no question for anyone that God loves us, we need him, and we don't ever want to forget that again. It's easy for you to sit here and listen to me say God loves you and hopefully feel it 
and believe it. But once you walk out the door, once you have something tough come your way at school or at home, once somebody you know takes their life or gets cancer, it can be a little harder to remember. And these people forgot because they had some consequences of bad decisions that stood in their way and they started kind of forgetting God and they started ignoring God. They forgot that God loved them for a day and then a week and then a month and the next thing you know, they just forgot all about them. So in view of all of this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing because we don't ever want to forget again. So they made this promise together so that they could keep each other accountable and then they wrote their names down and they said, this is what we will do to protect us from not forgetting God. This is what we won't do so that we won't forget God. And I, I just thinking to myself of just like thousands of people making this commitment together, I've never quite seen anything like that. Here's a sketch of what it looked like. This is a couple hundred year old sketch, but these are the people in Jerusalem and they're worshiping God with those horns, and they are bowed down praying to God, and all that stuff in the background is a fire as they are making sacrifices to God. They're saying, you're more important to us than money and stuff, and they are proclaiming as a community, we need you, we want you, please help us. And it's just astounding. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life with that many people where it's one purpose? Like it's not just this, that, or the other. It's like declaring their need for God. Can you imagine, next picture, this group of people at the Woodlands Pavilion listening to the symphony of that many people came together in our community this week to declare we need God. We, we know you love us. We know we've been disobedient. It's been hurting us. My God, please help us in our hurt and our sorrow. Do you know how much that would bless God's heart? Do you know that after this commitment and confession that the people in Nehemiah's day made, that they went out and just the land was like given to them that they reaped more blessings than they could ever take credit for? Do you know that God would do something like that again today if we would just gather together and make the same kind of confession and commitment? So, what did they commit to? What did they promise? The people bound themselves with an oath. They separated themselves from the pagan people and they gathered together in the temple and they swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey God's word. And they solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. Why did they swear a curse on themselves? That's like a harsh place to begin. God, thank you for forgiving us for our sin. We need you. We don't ever want to forget you again. And so we swear a curse upon ourselves. Why did they do that? It's because they knew it was that serious. It's life and death. We cannot afford to forget God again. We cannot afford to keep doing things our own way because we've been seeing for the last 70 years, it hurts. It only ends in pain and suffering. So we invite a curse upon ourselves if we forget again. They, they used that language and they meant it because it's that serious and they realized that deeply in their heart and mind, we need the Lord. Do you realize that you need him just as much? So they start off with this bold proclamation of this is 
Legit. This is real. We need this desperately. And then it said they separated themselves from the unbelievers when they came to make this commitment. Now, why did they separate themselves from the people in the land that didn't believe in God? Was it because they were like, well, we're better than them? Or was it because like uh, these guys are just garbage and we're taking this step up above them so we can just look down our nose at them? No. They separated themselves from the unbelievers at this moment in time because of a couple things. We as Christians, this is just kind of some side fruit from this message, but we as Christians should not expect unbelievers to obey God's word. Why would they? They're not believers. They don't love God yet. Uh, They don't know that God loves them yet. So we can't hold them accountable to live God's way. If you have a friend and they don't believe in Jesus and you're trying to tell them, you need to do this because the Bible says so, why? You're better off just praying that they would have a relationship with Jesus because then you can talk to them. Then you can hold them accountable. We don't correct unbelievers for disobedience, but we should, we do, we're commanded in the Bible to correct each other. If you have a brother or sister in sin, if you have a brother or sister that you, that's just blatantly doing this and you both know it's wrong according to the word and this is somebody that's given their life to Christ, you and I are accountable to God to correct them, to call them not necessarily out, but call them up to better behavior. Who's going to correct us if we don't hold each other accountable? That pastor that was burning Korans in Florida a couple years ago, just despicable, just embarrassing, and the government chastised him, and the media did. It should have been the Christians that went to him and said, buddy, you're hurting us. That's not who God is. That's not what he's like. We hold each other accountable. And then they separated themselves because um, they wanted to make every effort to hold each other accountable. We're going to get together in this one place in time, and we're going to make this promise, no more of this. This past year, we kind of did something similar when we said this student ministry will not be a place where gossip is allowed to survive. And if you hear somebody gossiping in this space, in this ministry, in this community, shut it down. Remove yourself from it. Hold your brothers and sisters accountable. I wonder what God is going to call us to commit to this coming year. I'm excited about it, and it'll only be for our good. So, for the rest of the sermon, we're just going to focus on the next two promises they made. The first one was, we will obey the word of God, period. And then they make two more. There's a total of seven, but we're just going to focus on the next two as we wrap up our morning. Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 30 through 31. We promise to obey God's word, and we promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, and not to let our sons marry their daughters. Promise one, we will obey God's word. Promise two, we will not let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, and we will not let our sons marry their daughters. We also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain like into the city, God's city, to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Those are two very interesting promises to start off with. And remember, the reason they're making these promises is the fact that they know they had forgotten God and they wanted to protect themselves from forgetting him again. How does saying we will not marry pagans protect us from forgetting God? How does saying we will not work on the Sabbath help us from forgetting God? Well, what's the heart of those two promises? It's this. They made a promise not to marry the pagans because they knew, as we should know, if we give, if you give 
your heart to someone who does not love God or obey God. I'm not saying you can't love people that don't love God or obey God, but if you give your heart to someone who does not love God or obey God, it will hurt you. It will hurt you because they're going in this direction, but you're going in that direction. How will you get there? You will be tearing at each other and pulling each other. And I've seen so many relationships in the student ministry, marriage relationships that I've seen in life where people come together, but they do not have the same direction and it just hurts. They hurt each other. And there's many of us in this room that are like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna love him into the kingdom of Jesus. I'm gonna save her soul with my kisses. It doesn't work. It's like saying, I'm gonna go into the bar and drink with my buddies so I can tell them about the Lord. You know what happens at the end of that night? You're just drunk saying, Jesus is great, you guys. And they're like, whatever, let's get Whataburger. Like, they don't care. So, the heart of these two promises is if we give our hearts to people who don't love and obey God, it'll keep us from loving and obeying God to the fullest. And then the second piece of we will not work on the Sabbath, if we use all of our time to serve ourselves, what kind of time are we going to have left over to serve others? These people started working seven days a week, all day, every day. For you guys, if you're doing homework seven days a week, all day, every day, if you're just watching Netflix or playing games or on your device seven days a week, 24 hours a day, what time do you have left over for the Lord? And if you don't have that time, how can you remind yourself and let God remind you that he loves you, that you're amazing, that he's got big plans for your life? So why does tying ourselves to people who don't love God hurt us? Here's a picture to help you understand. So we got some oxen. And they have across their necks a what? A yoke. So that big ring in the bottom is where the rope goes. And there's a guy behind them and he steers them with this thing. And because these oxen are yoked together, they're tied together, there's no way that they can take that off of their neck. They ain't got no thumbs. They can help each other go in the direction they need to go. They can be strong for each other. They can accomplish more. They can do more because they're doing it together. When you marry someone, when you give your heart to someone, you are yoking your whole heart, mind, and soul to them. Wherever they're going, you're going. Wherever you're going, they're going. You better have a singular destination in mind or else what's going to happen? Let's get a better visual. Let's get a real-time visual. Um, Patricia and Mason come to the front and I'm going to take a drink of water, so for a pause, you should just applaud for them while I do. All right. Now, when it comes to Patricia and Mason, and the reason I picked them, this thing's so heavy, oh my God, is they are very similar in height and dimension. So we're going to put this on your shoulders, and you're going to put your arms on it so it doesn't fall. And so here's the deal. We are not coupling Patricia and Mason together and their similarity physically, let's imagine their physical similarities are a representation of their spiritual similarities. They are similar. They're at the same place in their walk. They both read the Bible every day, and they serve, and they are pursuing Jesus with their whole heart and mind, and their goal is to follow Christ. And so as such, when they're moving together, they can do more together because they are together. 
Now, if I am Jesus and I am leading them, right? Here's the cross. And they are coming with me, right? So like, oh, wait. Oh, I like this one, you know? So you're just following where Jesus leads and they're coming. Now, what if Mason gets a little distracted and starts to look to his left? Well, Patricia still got her eyes on me, so she's going to help keep him in line. Now, if Patricia stumbles just a little bit, like Mason is right there to help keep her on her feet. And they know exactly where they're going because they are not only looking at each other, although they do at times look at each other, but they keep their eyes on Jesus. And so they have one goal and one purpose and one direction in mind. And it is good to see them together. There's a harmony here. There's a unity here. And the longer they walk together, tied together, the more comfortable and strong they will become. So give me back my yoke and go sit down. All right. Now, let's, yeah, you should totally clap. Gabe and Sydney. Now we will look at another example, okay? So here are two people, and let's imagine that their physical attributes represent their spiritual selves. There seems to be a bit of a difference, all right? So, saddle up. You guys just look stupid. There's a drastic, dramatic difference here, and this is in no way representing the truth of the matter, but Sydney's clearly, like, small in her faith, right? <laughs> she's not reading her Bible. She's just binge-watching Netflix and drinking vodka and hanging out and not doing anything. Gabe, on the other hand, like, look at this strapping young man of faith, like, reading his Bible every day and serving and is probably just, like, laboring for the law. Like, you're, way to go. Now, so if Gabe's goal is to follow Jesus, and yet he's just like Sydney around and yokes himself to her, ties himself to her, but all Sydney wants to do is go over here. So Gabe, you need to follow Jesus. But Sydney, there's like, I won't even say it. There's something bad over there. Please don't hurt each other, but can you come this way, please? Oh, God, please don't let that fly out and hit anybody in the face. All right. Okay, is this working out well for you, Sydney? Are you enjoying being yoked to Gabe, the good little Christian that is just berating you? And he's probably the whole time like, you need to be like Jesus. I can't believe you watched that. And so now you've kind of given up, but like, are you willingly coming this way or are you just ready to just walk away, right? And now, Gabe, Gabe's got all this baggage, Right? So here, we'll go together. You know what? I'm just going to take it because I'm way stronger than you. All right. So, challenge. Oh, I'll take him down. Take him down. Your police training is about to begin, my friend. You guys can see that that just didn't work out. Even the progress Gabe made, imagine how much better he would have been walking before he tied himself to someone that just didn't have the same desires or goals or calling on their life. It doesn't make the Sydney a bad person. It was just not a wise decision. And the people had done this. The people in Nehemiah's day had yoked themselves to the world. Think of some of the advice the world is giving us today on how to handle our problems, how to deal with pain and resentment. I mean, I'm not going to preach on it, but man, open carry, shoot, your, shoot anybody that's threatening you. I don't see that in the Bible anywhere, but that's, that's the world's, that's Texas's answer at least, you know what I'm saying. 
So, let me give you a little free piece of advice since we did address the dating marriage piece. If you are interested in finding that person in your life, know this, if you're looking for somebody, you're gonna find somebody. That doesn't mean it's the right somebody. But the way that I like to say it is if you are chasing hard after Jesus and you're desiring that special someone in your life, every once in a while, as you're pursuing the Lord, just look to your left and your right. Who else is running at the same pace? Who else is running towards the Lord? And you're, you know, it's okay. You're like, that's an option. But if you're pursuing hard after Jesus and this person over here is just pursuing things of the flesh and the world and you're like, it's exciting to be with them, but I know that everything they do probably land me in jail. That's not the best way to go. It's not because they're bad, but it's because if you yoke himself, yourself to them, let's imagine the tables were turned. What if Gabe was the unbeliever in that illustration and Sydney gave her heart to him and then he's just dragging her off into pain and suffering and a distance between the Lord? That's usually what happens. So, being unequally yoked was a big problem for the people in Nehemiah. And it wasn't just for the sake of the people that were yoking themselves to unbelievers. It was bigger than that. God had a bigger understanding of the consequences of their decision. And it was this. Nehemiah 13 says, I witnessed God's people marrying those who did not love the Lord. And half of their children were raised to speak the language of pagans and therefore could not speak the language of God or understand God's laws, but only the language of pagans. The purpose of marriage is to have children. And if you yoke yourself to an unbeliever in any way and your kiddos are raised up in a house that you don't share the beliefs that you have in Jesus with them, you have just hurt the, the kids. You have just hurt your grandkids. Like it's a huge deal. And the Bible said clearly right here that God was firm in this, not against Nehemiah's people, but for them, you are going to cause your children to not know me and therefore die and go to hell. You need to pursue me together. The people in Nehemiah's day, their first language was self. It was the world. It was our neighbors who have better parties, we think, than us. And it hurt them. But God said, your first language needs to be love and peace and forgiveness and prayer for the lost, not dating of the lost. And I would challenge you guys right now, what's your first language, right? What's your first language? Is your speech peppered with God's speech? Is your first language sharing the love of Jesus with people, serving people, listening to people? Or is your first language what your friends say? Is your first language what you heard on television? Is your first language gossip or spite or revenge or holding grudges, all of which really hurt you the most? Or is your first language love and forgiveness and peace and mercy? If we don't spend time in God's word, and that's the main meat of the message today and the meat of what was going on in Nehemiah's day. If we don't spend time getting to know who he is, how can we understand who he created us to be? The main thing God wants any of us to know is that he loves us and he forgives us and he's not holding a tally of all your mistakes, but the more time we spend away from him, the less we know that. 
The people in Nehemiah ignored God's word, and so they became slaves to wrong thinking. They believed lies that the world told them, and the lies let them down. What lie have you been believing this year on how you're managing your tough situation? It broke their hearts, and I know there's broken hearts in here. They lived in pain, and I know so many of you in this room that are listening to me right now are living in pain, and they had no identity and no hope for a future. Is that you today? I know it's you today. We were so privileged and honored and continue to be that you share your prayers with us. And we read the confessions that 150 of you turned in last weekend. And Bailey went through them and categorized them just so we can get a sense of where are our students? What are they wrestling with? And so many in this room, the top, six th- uh, the top five things you're struggling with is pain. It's guilt. You got students in here wrestling with shame. Fear was huge. Pride, another big one. The most specific sin that you guys are wrestling with is sexual addiction, which is such a poison. It's so damaging. It's damaging to how you see yourself. It's damaging to how you see others. If we just knew the language of God a little better, we would know that these things that we're wrestling with, so many of the one-liners that were written out in your prayer request, God has already spoken to those things. He's already given you a word of peace and life and love. I'm gonna read some one-liners. And before I do, if there's any groups in this room right now having private conversations, please don't make me call you out and embarrass you because I will. Here's some one-liners that you guys in this room wrote. And they were anonymous, so I don't know who they were. But these one-liners that I selected are so representative of the bigger picture for all of you. So as I read these words, maybe they're yours, but maybe they just resonate with you. I quickly, just scriptures blew up in my mind as I read them as a response to these. So hear this verse as a response if you feel this way. Here's one of the first confessions of six or seven that I wrote down. God, I don't know what to feel. What am I supposed to do? Which way am I supposed to go? How do I react to this? Do you feel like that about anything in your life? I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to feel. Here's God's word for you today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will show you which path to take. If you don't know where to go, bury yourself in this book and pray to the Lord, where do I go? How do I feel? He will tell you. Ask him about it. And what I love is this prayer has already been said on behalf of that one question. Second prayer request that came out of one of the confessions. Father, this awful feel, uh, fear, this gross feeling of negative judgment from others, please take my fear. It's eating me alive. How many of you in this room are afraid or feeling fear about something or someone? How many of us in this room feel judged by other people? That's been my week. Here's God's word to you. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me, and I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The Lord is for every single one of you. I don't care how you think or feel about yourself or what you did last night. He is for you. He is with you. He will support you. He wants to comfort you. Just trust him. It is better to trust in the Lord 
than in yourself. God, help me believe that I am special to you. Help me believe that I will do awesome things in this world for you. If that doesn't speak to where you're at today, here's God's word for you. The one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring his people back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. And he says, you will do more than restore my people to me. I will make you a light to the nations and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You're special to him, all right. He's got a monster plan in store for you, but how can you know it unless you spend time in his word and remember who he is and who he made you to be? Father, take my porn addiction away. I want my focus to be on you and not that. You guys, once you take a step in the direction of sexual sin, it is so hard to get back. Once you decide to have sex before marriage, it is so hard to stop. I am speaking from experience. It's such a difficult thing, but this prayer is perfect. God, take it away. I don't want it anymore. Here's God's answer to that prayer for you who wrote it or you who feel that way. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He hears you. He heard this prayer. And he rescues them from all their troubles. And the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And the righteous person may face many troubles, but the Lord comes to their rescue every time. If you need to be delivered from any habitual sin, he's waiting for you to ask. The rescue is like right here, and he's got a rope, and he's waiting for you to ask. He's going to just pull that rope, and rescue is on the way. Just ask. Lord, even as I write out my sin to you, I feel the burden growing heavier. This person just looking at their sin, acknowledging it maybe for the first time, it just feels that much heavier. Here's God's answer to that for you. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Why do we need to remember God's words? It's because as we discussed last week, and we just saw through those six or seven prayers, that life is hard, pain hurts, and the power of sin and death is real. But thank God for Jesus and for his word. I was reading a Facebook post for just a split second while I was writing the message yesterday and a friend of mine posted something and I didn't even know this was going on in her life and it just broke my heart in the most beautiful way for her and her circumstance and what her and her family have been walking through. Here's a photo of her baby at the hospital and that's her hand reaching through and this child is in the NICU right now. And this was what she wrote. Six months ago today, our precious daughter left this earth and opened her eyes to see her father in heaven. No more fighting, no more work, no more pain. I am reminded of her every day, and I am so grateful for those six days we had with her. So much has changed in the last six months. In six months, her twin sister has gained 10 pounds. 
She's had countless medical appointments, and she's been released and readmitted to three hospitals, but she is now able to come off of oxygen for four hours a day with ease. And she's gaining strength, and she's making strides, and we are so proud of her. And for the majority of most days, between her and her four older siblings, I really don't have the spare seconds to even realize much more than who needs juice in which favorite cup. But as I have started intentionally carving out time to reflect and remember and try to understand, I can quickly see and feel that what I have said all along is more true than ever before. God was, God is, and God would continue to be with us. God loves us, and he will hold our little girl tight until we see her again. Today, especially, I am overwhelmingly thankful for the gift we have in Jesus. Because of his sacrifice, these past six months have not only been filled with sadness and grief, but thankfulness and joy. I am reminded every day that my daughter is eagerly waiting for us to join her in heaven. And oh, how I long for the day when I can kiss her cheeks and trace her face and tell her how proud I am of her. Until then, we will march on remembering and celebrating and talking about our baby girl. And the post ended with a verse from Revelation, which she had quoted earlier. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and God's promise will be fulfilled. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain, for all of these things are now gone forever. Where would this woman be without God's word in front of her? Where are you today? Is God's word in front of you? You need it. I need it. I'm walking through something this week, and without this book, without God's words written for Justin, I would not be able to stand up here with confidence before you today. That confidence, that assurance is right here, just open to any page. It's there. We need more of Jesus, and if we want to know him more, we got to get into this book. we got to read it, or we will forget who God is, and we will forget who he made us to be. But if you need a reminder today, it's, it's here. Dwight, you guys can come onto the front. I'm going to give you guys a little tip, and then we're going to respond in prayer. You can go ahead and grab your pen and paper under your chairs because we're going to use those. Here's a quote that I've been hanging on to for a little while. If you are not willing to change, don't expect your life to either. All school year, every school year, for my 10 years working with students, I will ask you guys in just a month or so, how are you doing with reading the Bible? How are you doing with that prayer request that we prayed together where you said, I will read the Bible more? And nine times out of 10, your guys' answer is, I don't have time. And I get it. You got a full life. You got school. You got homework. You got practice. But what's your excuse today? You got time today. 
You have time to open the word and just read some refreshing, empowering words from God's mouth to your heart. And I love the fact that we have exactly one month before school starts. This weekend, in four weekends, school's beginning. And it takes exactly one month to develop a habit. If you feel convicted at all this morning that you need more of God's words in you, I dare you, I challenge you, I beg you, read the Bible every day for like five or 10 minutes, at least. Read the Bible every day from this day until August 20th, and you will spiritually, but just psychologically, develop a habit so that when school starts, you won't have to carve out time. You won't have to um, beg, borrow, steal five minutes. You will already have built it into yourself. You will already know from 7 to 7.15 every morning, I read the Bible. At lunch, every day before I eat, I read the Bible for 10 minutes. You will create that habit. And next year, all the challenges and the hurt and the heartache and the glorious stuff that's waiting for you, you will be able to walk through stronger, more confident, more bold than ever before. There is hope and identity and encouragement. It's just waiting for you. So, we're going to respond. We have our communion, our remembrance of Jesus. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you that, that I can hear your word and understand. We have our tithe where we can just bring some money and just say, God, you're more important to me than this paper in my pocket. I depend upon you more than, than food in my belly. We have worship. We can just declare to music, like, you're so good. I love you so much. But the meat of our response is right now. I'm going to lead you guys in a couple questions for you to ask between you and the Lord, and I encourage you to write out your answers. And when you're done, you can take that card with you as a reminder, or you can drop it off like you did last week, and we will pray for them again this week. But bow your heads, and we're just going to pray our way through a couple quick questions. Jesus, right now, we just bow our heads to you, and we acknowledge you have been and will speak to us. And you have something that you've been saying to us collectively today, and we all know what it is, but now we want you to speak to us individually. As your son, I need you. As your daughter, I want to hear from you. In your own words, student, acknowledge or ask the Lord, what's keeping me from drawing close to God? What's keeping me from remembering him? Is there anything in my life that's keeping me from obeying him? And just some big picture general things that it might be, some things that might be distracting you, I would challenge you to consider, what are you looking at? What are you looking at with your eyes? Are you looking at things that are lovely and pure and excellent and praiseworthy? Are you just and only watching horror films and gore and gross stuff online? What are you looking at? That might be the thing that's keeping you. What are you listening to? Are the songs you're ingesting just filled with disgusting things and violent things and maybe they have good beats, but their message sucks the life out of you? Or are you listening to things that, that lift you up, that help you focus on Jesus, that make you want to be a better you for the sake of the kingdom? What are you hanging on to? Are you holding a grudge against somebody? Are you beating yourself for that mistake you made last year? Give it 
to Jesus. Give that broken relationship to the Lord. Invite him to come and minister to you. So write out whatever you're sensing and feeling from the Lord, but what's keeping you from drawing close, from remembering, from obeying the Lord? We'll give you guys a moment of silence to do that.